What up, artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity. And, you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Yo, welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Luke James. So Luke, what do you do? What do I do? Man, I do a lot of things right now. Luke James, not the singer, by the way, just to make that clear, just so people don't <laughs> think you have the, have the R&B icon uh, on your podcast. Maybe, you, maybe you've talked to him already. Maybe I'll be the worst Luke James. I probably already am. But as for what I do, I do a lot of things. I'm known mostly for my hip hop reviews on YouTube. I will do some other genres once in a while, maybe some funk, soul, R&B. That's sort of the, you know, the, those are the genres that I stay in. Um, I also recently just started streaming on Twitch. I've been a gamer all my life, so that's something that I'm having a lot of fun with. You can find me, Luke James, not the singer on there. I usually play in the evenings. Other than that, man, I work, come home, spend time with my family. And as you know right now, Times are pretty crazy, man, with the coronavirus and quarantining and all that. So how are you surviving? Oh, man, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm one of those lucky people that has a job where I can work from home. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of spoiled in that respect. Uh, but like in terms of my creative work, a lot of that just poof and gone. Like I, I was having a probably one of my best years as a freelancer starting out and then all of those client jobs just like the clients were like i can't go forward with my project that i need you to do the design work for so therefore the project is over and it's like all right cool and um yeah that kind of thing and then as a, a clothing brand like a lot of my printers and everybody else are non-essential services so they have to shut down and i can't get supplies so it's like a lot of things got put on hold, but at the same time, it gives me an excuse to dig back in, into things that I've been wanting to do, like just design mm-hmm. and make art and really think about the bigger picture of the business instead of just sort of reacting. So that, that's it's been good in that sense, I think. And like, you know, it's been nice being home, chilling with the kids and, and the wife and my, and you know, just being able to, to do all that stuff. I like how you said chilling with the kids because I have three small kids, five and under, and there ain't much chilling going on with them right now. I'll tell you that. It is a lot of fighting and clawing and screaming <laughs> and yelling, and, mommy, daddy. <laughs> but we, we do get some chilling in and I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, my wife, love her to death, man. She is hanging in there. She's home with the kids like you. Uh, I'm still able to work, but I actually uh, am an essential worker, as they say. So I have to go out there. She's home with the kids all the time. It's, you know, it makes for a lot of stress. You suddenly realize that you can't just go out to the playground. You can't just go out and do all these things that you used to do. Everything, uh, every plan has had a wrench put in it, basically, just like you were saying with some of the plans that you had. So it's pretty interesting how something like this really just makes the world stop, makes us reflect. And I'm curious to see how this is going to have an effect on us moving forward, because there's no coming back from some of this stuff. Like we're going to be so hyper aware, I think about germs, um, you know, keeping our distance and things like that. It might not be as intense as it is right now, but I think even when this stuff calms down, 
we're going to see people thinking more about that and being more cautious. What do you think about that? No, I agree, man. I, the funny thing is, like, it's high. I've I've always been. I'm not a germaphobe, but I'm like I'm borderline. I'm I'm pretty close. So I, I'm yeah. always the type of person that just washes my hands a lot in general. So do you flush with your foot when you use a public toilet? Do you lift the the seat with your foot? Flush with your foot? I try to, yeah. Like, but at the same that. time, like, um, or if I don't do that, I I always grab paper first, and then you know, like. I try to just not cross contaminate as much as possible. And, Absolutely. And like, if I know I'm going to put my hand in my mouth, I go and wash my hands. Like it's just an alarm goes off. Like the pre Corona, I'd be like, I want to bite my nails right now, but I got to go wash my hands before I do it. <laughs> so, and I'm a nail biter. So like, I'm just constantly washing my hands. And, uh, it's, it's highlighted for me that like just how nasty a lot of other people are. <laughs> oh, yes. I've seen some of the conversations on Twitter where people are talking about, oh, I'm going to start doing this and that now that the virus is here. And we're like, you weren't doing that already? Like, I, I don't know if you saw one of the funniest things I saw on Twitter was this whole conversation where all these people, man, they put their asses out because they said when they're in the shower, they don't scrub their legs and their feet because they figure all the water is going to run down. <laughs> and, and that's going to magically clean their kneecaps and their ankles and their toes. But it's like, you still got to scrub all that, man. Come on now. Uh, stay I clean. remember that. <laughs> like not scrubbing the bottom of your feet. You're on your feet all day in socks. If it's winter, you're wearing wool socks, man. You're just like a, you're sweating in there. It's like a sauna for your feet. You're not washing your feet and your legs. It's crazy. Yeah, man. People's nastiness is just like, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's been illuminating. I'll put it that way. Some and some people, I'm like, yo, I, I, it's not that I go to people's houses anyway, but now I'm like, I don't think I feel comfortable eating in the house. Too oh, definitely. And and you start to notice certain things that were already bad. They seem even worse now. Like I saw this man the other day walking around. You know that thing where people keep Kleenex in their pocket and they pull it out and it's just raggedy as hell. It already looks like, <sighs> you know, they've used it 20 times and they blow their nose so it's getting all over their hands and they stuff it back in their pocket. And yep. I'm just thinking, this man's walking in the grocery store doing that. He's probably not going to wash his hands. And he's going to be blowing his nose in there, reaching in that pocket. Just That's how people get sick, man, right there. Those people mm -hmm. are responsible probably for 90% of the germs. Yo, we went grocery shopping on Saturday, and my wife damn near had a panic attack because there was this older gentleman in there. He, was, he kept going down the wrong lane. And oh, yeah. They're all, they have all the arrows now, right? Yeah. So, and then later on, as we were almost done, we were trying to get some ice cream and the same older gentleman did just that. He had this rag in his pocket oh, no. and he blew his nose and then put it back. And she was like, we got to get the hell out of this store. We got to get out. We got to get out now. And I'm like, what happened? Do you see, did you see what he just did? I'm like, no, he just did that. And then he grabbed <laughs> the handle of the thing that we want to go to and opened it. Like it's nasty. And I'm like, uh, all right. All right. All right. I get you. Let's, let's get out of here. Well, see, I work in a grocery store, so I see all of that. But uh, luckily they're starting to be a bit more cautious now. Hope we're not boring your viewers with this or your listeners with this, but I mean, this is something we're all dealing with. So I figured, you know, get into no. it a little bit, but you know, at least most grocery stores now are, they have like 10 to 15 extra people hired on to sanitize. I know they do at my store. I'm not going to get into my company and all that. Cause you know, um, kind of keep that separate, but they're really doing well at scrubbing everything, sanitizing everything, putting the arrows so people know where to go. 
stopping people so there's not too many people in the store because man i've been in some stores and it's like there's like a hundred people in there and first they were saying only five people can go in which for a grocery store obviously is not really going to work but Mm -hmm. you got to cut it back a little bit and even the liquor store it's like getting into a nightclub now you got to line up so far apart guy opens the door for you five or six people are in there at a time it's just we are living through a moment right now that is going to go down in history and we're never going to forget that we'll be telling stories about this to our grandkids someday yeah man like as a walking dead i'm i don't watch walking dead anymore but like this was just giving me flashbacks to watching walking dead like it feels like we're in that that world like every time you leave the house it's like okay am i am i ready i got my you know my my lysol wipes and my my hand sanitizer which is like the equivalent of your gun and your axe or whatever (laughs) your big samurai sword like michonne (laughs) (laughs) yeah you got to protect yourself these days man but it's like you see all these people going around with the rubber gloves and I know they mean well, I get where they're coming from, but it's just spread into everything because sometimes it's almost worse they say to wear gloves because it makes you feel invincible. Oh, mm-hmm. I got gloves on my hands so I can touch everything. Whereas when you don't have the gloves on, you're a bit more aware of what you're doing with your hands. You're more likely to wash and to sanitize. Then you got people throwing their gloves everywhere, man, as like ghetto tumbleweeds out there. Just these yeah. balls of plastic gloves and shit flying around. It's crazy. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I'm not, I don't, I, I got that too with the glove thing because I'm like, I got my gloves, but then I'm going to have to pull my wallet out and touch everything in my wallet and mm-hmm. put my hands on my pocket, touch my phone. I might as well just be out there. <laughs> and think how dirty a phone is. Yeah. Like, think how often, I, I, even before all this, I'd try to wipe down my phone and sanitize. Like, I got small kids, so there's like baby wipes everywhere. It's almost like, you know how alcoholics keep baby, uh, they keep alcohol bottles like in their couch. They oh. keep it up in the bathroom everywhere. That's our house with baby wipes. You can reach from anywhere and get baby wipes. So I'm always wiping my phone and stuff down anyway, but even more so now because you're just probably, that's probably the number one transmitter of germs is a phone. Yeah. It's got to be up there. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. So you mentioned you're not Luke James, the singer, but you are Luke James, the rapper. Oh, many, many years ago. Yes. (laughs) It's crazy to think, man. I look back at, you know, when me and my friend there, Mike Nelson, close friend of mine, I grew up with him out in Onslow, which is like 15, 20 minutes outside of Truro. So we're talking some country living, but we used to freestyle after school all the time. Uh, Then we started recording some stuff with some of my other friends, Andrew McPherson. He's still making music. Actually, he does really well. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of how we started. Then we linked up with Classified, who, of course, is doing amazing for himself. He's doing very well, represents well for Canada. He's local as well. Mm-hmm. Hooked up with him, became TKO, did that. But man, that was like, we were like 15, 16 when we started. Wow. And I go back and I listen to some of my early raps and I cringe so bad. <laughs> I cr- like, like everybody can look back at when they're a teenager and think about the dumb shit you did and embarrassing moments and maybe stuff you'd take back or whatever. And I'm not saying like I'm that embarrassed by it. Definitely not saying I would take it back because that was part of my outlet and my creative journey. But just some of the stuff we're saying on those songs, you know what I mean? Like as a, as a grown man now who's 35, listening to yourself 15 rapping and saying stuff you probably wouldn't say now, you know? It just well, I, can, <laughs> I can tell you right now, like my brother, we, we have some a mixtape that we made back in the day and I'd be canceled. I'd be canceled. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I got a lot of stuff that I would get canceled for. 
uh, in these days in my creative past. And I think yeah. when I think about that topic right there in particular, like cancel culture in the past, I think that's why I'm more likely to give people a pass if they made a mistake before, as long as they're not the same person. Like to me, if you have a history of doing some wild shit and being disrespectful and all that, and you're still doing it, then yeah, your past is going to come into play once again, because we're still talking about these things. But if you're someone who as a kid, maybe said and did some things, or even not a, as a kid, maybe just years ago, but you're not that person now, I think uh, in this day and age, sometimes we need to give people space to grow. You know what I mean? Because we're not all going to stay the same person. There's probably things I said and did within the past week that might not have been the best choice, like nothing wild, but mm -hmm. it's just now everything is recorded and kept track of. So it's easy for people to go back and pull these receipts and be like, you said this 20 years ago. So I'm going to write you off as a piece of trash person, even though I never met you and talked to you face to face. I think that's where it becomes sort of a slippery slope, if you know what I'm saying. No, I agree 100%, man. I, I, I try to give certain people some grace like, because of that very reason. Like, I know that, you know, uh, so-called woke Dwayne or whatever the fuck you want to call me now or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, like, you know, he, he who preaches a lot of things, like, wasn't always like this. You know, I, I had to learn lessons and meet certain people and have hard conversations and things like that in order to to get to a point where I could be um, more open-minded and more like uh, just not ignorant to certain things. So it just, you sometimes people just need that opportunity to be educated and to learn. And a lot of people, the problem is when you got a guy like Trump or you get these other dickheads who've been around for a long time mm -hmm. and they're just willfully digging down and uh, doubling down on this stuff, that's when I, there's a problem to me. Um, oh, absolutely. Because that comes back to what I was saying about when people have a history of doing this stuff yeah. and it ain't just history because they're still doing the same thing. So they've been like this all their life. They don't make any effort to change and they're still doing it. And that's when you see the person for who they really are. Whereas in the situations we're talking about with ourselves when we were younger, you have to grow at the times, man, because that's another thing. I don't think, for example, like say one thing I've dealt with a lot, maybe you've dealt with this too, is a lot of like older white people I know still using the word colored, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And they, some of them, like they don't know that you don't say that now in 2020. Like it, it doesn't click with them because they'll say 60 or 70. That's what they used to say. Mm -hmm. That's outdated. Get with the times. So I don't think it's an excuse to speak in these old fashioned ways or hold these old fashioned views. But I think with some people, they need a little bit of grace so you can correct them and teach them because that's what ignorance is, right? Like they don't know or they don't fully understand it. And you can use that as an opportunity maybe to have a discussion and conversation with people, which I've done. And then, you know, they realize, oh, I can't say that anymore. That's just what we used to say. That's just one example. But yeah. even, even when I was coming up, I mean, there's a lot of things that were said and accepted about various communities, whether you want to talk about the gay community, the transgender community, like a lot of that stuff was more normalized in the nineties, as far as some of the slurs and stuff people would say, which definitely doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. But that's the time that it was in. And then you have to grow and learn and change and evolve with current times because I never want to be that guy who sticks to his old ways just because that's how it used to be. I don't think that's smart. Mm -hmm. I think part of growing and evolving it's just that growing and evolving. You have to learn. Um, I know I'm getting a bit rambly here, but that's, that's how I get when I get to my points, but 
you have to grow from the old ways and embrace change and understand that things aren't always going to be the same as they were when you were young. You don't want to want the old days all the time. Yeah, no, that's, that's facts. And even with the color thing, I know an older black person who every now and then says colored and then goes back and realize because to them black is a, is a derogatory term. So they, that is a slur like, but this is a 90 something year old black person who was like, yeah, we were called colored back in the day and that was fine. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) I mean, so yeah, sometimes it's just people just don't always know and, uh, or, or they do know and, and they're learning and still evolving and at all types of ages. And yeah, it's important to have grace to a certain degree anyway. Um, Absolutely. We all have a past. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in Truro. You're currently based where now? Coal Harbor. Harbor. Nice and relaxed. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. And were you like, so you were into music when you were young. Were you kind of like a creative kid, would you say? Uh, Absolutely. I remember one of my friends back in the day. Well, actually, I did this with a bunch of my different friends. You know, someone might have a camcorder. Remember the old ones? Remember like the big ones, like April O'Neil would have it on the Ninja Turtles, you know, the one that like sits on your shoulder, you know, my dad had one of those. I had a friend down the street that had one, then the handy cams, the smaller ones came out. But anyway, I always loved making skits and stuff like that because I came up watching kids in the hall and live in color. And those shows right there, those are perfect examples of well, where some of the humor, like they probably couldn't do some of that shit now, Mm. but it was a sign of the times in the nineties, right? But uh, I was inspired by shows like that. I've always been a big fan of sketch comedy, characters, skits, and those sorts of things. So me and my friends, we used to do stuff like that. Then in later years, I linked up with Devin DeVell and Derek Ord, a bunch of other guys, Phelan Porteous, Attila Santos, probably forgetting some people, but we formed a little group called Red Matter. Mm-hmm. That's when we were doing a series called Chemical Reality. That was a show where it was basically a reality comedy show that we were doing we had another show called After Hours where it was a bunch of little skits. We had the Background Noise podcast. That was around, I think I was like 1920 when we were doing all that stuff. That's when I really took my creativity and went forward with that type of stuff. Whereas with the rap music, I was, you know, 15, 16 doing it. And I did that here, <clears throat> excuse me, here and there, uh, you know, like from 15 to 25, I was, I was always rapping or taking part in something like that. So it always has been a part of me since I was young. And even now, like if I don't have a creative outlet, I don't know what I do, man. I wouldn't feel right. Like there's been very few times in my life that I can remember, not counting when I was a small child, where I didn't have something creative on the go. It just really is a void that I need to be filled. And I'm filling that now by doing my music reviews, even Twitch streaming. I mean, that's not too much of a creative thing, but you know, you have people who you're chatting with, you have to entertain them. Um, there's a little bit of that there. So mm. that's sort of where I went from with it. Got you. So I, so I um, learned about you through the background noise podcast initially. So let, I'll give some history here. Um, actually background noise is probably one of the first podcasts I actually ever listened to. And I found out it was like local cats from here. I was like, Oh shit. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> you guys used to dig into some wild shit and uh, it, it was ahead of its time. Like it kind of. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you listen to Brilliant Idiots with uh, Charlemagne the God and Andrew Schultz, 
Yeah, I've but, heard some of their stuff. I never took a deep dive, but I've seen some of their clips on YouTube where they break down some topics and discussions. Yeah, I, I feel like their vibe is very similar to what you guys did um, back in the day. And uh, it's it was it was fun to listen to. And um, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Yeah. So like, and then another thing is you guys had me on as a guest on background noise. And that was the first time I was ever guest on a podcast as well. So good times, man. I remember that. (laughs) Was that the time when there was a snowstorm? Yes. Yeah. I, I remember we went to do the podcast. I forget what month it was, but it wasn't even snowing. And the podcast took, it was like maybe an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. And I remember we were all getting ready to go. I was driving a 99 Sunfire at the time, which weighs like five pounds, low to the ground. Like, man, my car was half buried. I swear to God, I drove from Halifax over to Coal Harbor, and it was like, it probably took me like half an hour, 40 minutes. I was like in the middle of the highway because nobody was on the road going like 10. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a wild night. Um, but yeah, it was, it was dope. I appreciate you guys giving me that chance. I still chat to to Derek online every now and then so like you guys uh you guys were ahead of your time for sure for sure we had a lot of fun doing that podcast that's probably another instance where some of the stuff we said on that would not be received well but (laughs) my counter to that is our whole point with that show is we always wanted to push boundaries uh make people somewhat uncomfortable but our whole thing was we wanted to make people laugh and also have deeper discussions. Like we've had plenty of discussions on there where there were no jokes involved, where we're talking about, you know, whether suicidal thoughts that people have had or depression issues, various mental illness issues, uh, inspirational type of topics. What I really loved about that show, because I thought it represented us very well. Uh, Also, John Sangster was a part of that as well. Just a shout out, John, Mm. he was on that show, but mostly it was uh, myself, Devin and Derek that started it and kind of kept it rolling. Um, but we had such a great balance on that show. And that's what I really liked because one minute we would have you laughing. One minute we might have you like, Oh man, that you probably shouldn't say that. Then the next minute we'd be having some thought provoking discussions about real life issues. And we got plenty of emails from people saying, you know what? Your podcast helped me through dark times. This discussion that you had really opened up my eyes. This thing that Derek said really, you know, helped me through a dark time in my life. And I think that's why looking back, I really do appreciate that show And I do agree with what you're saying. I mean, maybe that's toot my own horn a little bit, but I think it was a little bit ahead of its time because it was very balanced. We had this nice balance of being able to make you laugh, kind of groan once in a while with some of the topics and news stories we had. But, uh, you know, we were coming from the heart, man. We just wanted people to have a good time and feel like they could connect with us and kind of have those open and honest discussions that maybe people would have behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. that that was that was what endeared me to it because you know there is that shock value thing of some of the things you guys said but then yeah there was you could see that you guys genuinely cared about people and cared to to um like make the world a better place on some level so absolutely yeah that's what's important it's you know it's an old saying it's not just what you say it's how you say it so we always wanted to have a presentation where we made it clear that the stuff we were saying you know we weren't always trying to put people down and be hateful we were just making some jokes and shit and again, uh, the whole shock factor thing, that was much more prevalent when we were doing that podcast because that was like, you know, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that was like 10 to 15 years ago. 
mm-hmm. and you look at the landscape now for comedy and Twitter, like, I don't know how long you've been on Twitter, but do you remember what Twitter was like, like 15 years ago mm-hmm. or, or 10 years ago? Man, like, poof, Twitter was wild. Everybody, yeah. everything on there. And for the most part, people knew it was a joke. Yeah. People didn't get too riled up about anything on there. But now it's like you say something like, don't get me wrong. Some people say shit on Twitter and they deserve the heat they get. But there's times where you'll see somebody say something that's not even that bad. And someone takes it and they twist it into something else. They ignore the context. They write a big think piece. Like, it's just crazy to think how different things are now. And coming back to what you said about woke Dwayne, like I've definitely become more woke as well. You could say, I feel kind of cringy just saying that, but that's the term people use. And that's the best way to explain it, right? Like that's, it's what it is. Like you just grow up basically, you could say. Mm. Um, I do find there's a trend once in a while where people ignore context. I think that's a big problem we have sometimes when it comes to comedy and certain issues is where the details are ignored, the context is ignored, but this one thing is seen and that's enough to make people fly off the handle and uh, blow it out of proportion. Although yeah. to be clear, I'm not telling people how to feel. Like that's something I always stress when I'm sharing opinions like this. I'm not saying how I feel is the one ultimate way for everyone. Everyone has different values and experiences. Obviously when it comes to certain topics, my opinion doesn't mean as much as someone else's would. Like that's something I stress as well. Like if there's women's issues being discussed, I might have an opinion, but to me, what are women saying about it, you know? So yeah. I can't like insert myself like I'm sort some sort of, force like when you got all these old men in the stage taking away women's women's rights in certain areas like that's ridiculous that's a whole other topic yeah but um yeah man it's just coming back to my point circling back the long way it's just interesting how much the landscape has changed as far as social media opinions backlash cancel culture and all that yeah i literally i don't know how if this happens to you as well but i probably double check triple check my my thoughts before i post anything on twitter now whereas before i used to just let the tweets fly now oh yeah i 100 i used to let wild shit fly just because that's what people did i'd be like who can i piss off today and you put something out you know what yeah. I mean? i'm not like, even active as much anymore on there well i see it was you just the thing is i know that my intentions are pure but i, I also stop to think even when i have pure intentions in a tweet like how could this be possibly misinterpreted by this group and maybe that group and maybe this group and maybe that group. And then I'm like, one of those groups could misinterpret it. And then I say, mm-hmm. Nope, not tweeting it because I'm not going to sit there and argue with people back and forth, about what I really meant. So I'm just going to keep that thought in my head and keep it trucking. So, and that's the thing too. There's such a different dynamic online because let's say you were having a conversation with someone face to face. We can even circle back to, these older people I was talking about who were saying colored, Mm. like they say face to face. Okay. Now we're in a discussion about that face to face, really hashing it out and talking about it. Whereas on social media, something comes out, the other person gets time to think and type out this big lengthy, you know, three or four tweet thread response about it and break it down about why they think this is such a bad thing. And the other person does a thing. Like it's such a different dynamic that it becomes more of who's right. Yeah. And who's wrong rather than the actual discussion where people are, you know, trying to get to the bottom of the situation. It's a lot of finger waving and finger pointing, which is necessary at times, 100%. But mm-hmm. I think other times uh, a healthy discussion is what's more important. And you don't get too much of that on social media. Mind you, you and I are both getting older. So I try to remind myself of that sometimes. Like 
a lot of these people having this, these discussions are much younger, so they might have a different viewpoint or where they're coming from. And I also just don't have the time <laughs> like I used to. Like I used to enjoy pissing people off and then trolling and <laughs> arguing and saying dumb stuff just because I knew it would rile people up. But much like you, I try to be careful with my words now because I don't want to get into all that. I don't have the time or energy for all that, man. I'm chasing kids around all the time when I'm home. Yeah. Stepping on Legos, almost killing myself, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's see. And actually, I was going to circle to this, bring it back to what your, your music review and stuff. So in the comments of YouTube, it can get pretty vile in there. So yes, it can. <laughs> that kind of the same approach you take when, but you, I see that you actually do interact with people who comment. But like, how far do you take it with the interaction? Well, um, over the years, I, I, as I get better at reviewing music, I put much more thought into what I'm saying. Once in a while, I do what's called a rant review. Like when I really don't like an album, sometimes it's just fun to roast the album. Like it's not a personal thing to the artist. It's just if I really don't like an album, I'll roast it. Because in conversations with friends, that's how you'll talk about music sometimes, right? Yeah. You don't always need to be overly diplomatic if you have a lot of issues with the album. It's okay. So those reviews sometimes get a lot of backlash, a lot of stuff in the comments. Whereas my normal reviews, you know, I'm trying to be a bit more, I'm always trying to be fair, first of all, even in the rant reviews, like I make my points clear, clearly, but in regular reviews, I'm always trying to be a bit more balanced and thorough mm. in my approach. That's why the other ones are a rant. I'm just letting off steam sort of. It's kind of a fun experience. But as for the comment section, I generally... I used to let everything fly. And again, like when I was younger, much like I was saying on Twitter, I would have the time to argue with people and stuff like that. Now it's like, if the comment is not about the album or the video or the discussion, and it's just you saying slurs or insulting me or telling me I'm so stupid or something like that, usually I don't bother them. Sometimes I might hide them. Sometimes I might delete them because I do pride myself on having a comment section where people can actually have different opinions and discuss them. Like if I love an album and someone hates it or I hate an album and someone loves it, that is a hundred percent fine with me because we all have different ears and opinions. Like I don't review music to tell people what they have to listen to and act like I'm right and you're wrong. I just like to have the discussion. So I always welcome differences of opinions and people breaking down why they like an album or why they disagree with me. But when it's all just insults or like the comments I hate are like, Oh, you just don't, you don't like this album. You just don't understand it. Maybe you should sit with it for a year and study it like uh, algebra. Like, shut up, man. Like, it's not that deep. All right. Yeah. I listen to every album I review multiple times. I go on a genius page. I read all the lyrics. I take a lot of notes. Like I put a lot of work into my reviews, not mm -hmm. to say I'm without fault and I'm perfect, but I really pride myself on fleshing things out and taking the time to make sure my opinion is airtight as airtight as it can be so that I feel like I'm representing my thoughts well. But you get people who, if they see that you don't like their favorite album, they don't listen to anything you said in the review. Sometimes they just look at the score and don't even watch and then start complaining and whining and insulting. And I don't really have time for that. I feel like that doesn't add anything to the conversation because they're just upset. I didn't like an album by Lil Yachty or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was listening to your uh, review of uh, the J Electronica album and it was very fair. Like, uh, I, you, you acknowledge that for some people, this is album of the year. For you, it's not. Jay-Z uh, carried that album, man. People, some people got upset with me for saying that, but I'm sorry. Like, Jay Electronica, to me, has been a myth for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Can he rap? Yes, absolutely. Exhibit C is a tremendous song. That's like a 10 out of 10 song. 
Yeah. I could listen to that over and over. The Just Blaze production, crazy. Flows, crazy. I yeah. give Jay Electronica his props. But that album to me, it just felt like Jay-Z said, let me finish your homework, put your name on it, and let's get this out there. And just the comment section for that has been somewhat annoying because I'm not a very, like, I'm fine with people being religious and having their faith and all that. That's an individual's choice. But I'm personally not overly religious. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind it in hip-hop music. It's always been a part of hip-hop music. And some people have some pretty interesting and profound takes. Whereas Jay Electronic, I felt like, wasn't saying too much. And at times, shoving it down our throats, it felt like a little bit once in a while. So there's a lot of things about it I didn't like. And that's where the comment section had people saying, oh, you just don't understand it. You need to read up on the Nation of Islam. You need to this, that, and oh, check out this passage in the Bible. It's like, man, I'm good on all that, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm just giving you my honest opinion and how I feel it is what it is. And they're doing the same, to be fair. They're giving their opinion. I don't mind some of those comments, but it does get a bit annoying when the discussion isn't about the music. It's more about personal attacks and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, but I, I actually agree with your assessment of it. Um, like the 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 thing with the the J Electronica thing is such a classic artist situation, and I always wondered if that's what J Electronica's deal is, like because Exhibit too C, much hype, man. Way yeah. too much hype. It's like Exhibit C comes out, and for like other after that people were putting him in the top fives and top tens and all this stuff. Pure insanity. Like you're right. Like he just doesn't have enough of a catalog to really fairly do that. Now, is that a 10 out of 10 song? Probably. It's like, Mm -hmm. I listened to it today and was like, shit, this thing goes off. (laughs) As soon as you hear that beat kick in, it's one of those songs that like, I talk about this in my reviews, like certain songs just, you just feel it. I know that's cheesy to say, but it just gives you that feeling. As soon as you hear that sample kick in yeah. and those drums come in, he starts rapping. It's like, oh my God, this is a top tier rap song. But he just yeah. never really did anything that was close to that, in my opinion. He had some right. other tapes and songs and stuff here and there, but right. you know, perfect artist dilemma where people are hyping you up and waiting for so long. And there's almost no way you can live up to those standards. But right. he didn't even come close to me. Like, it was like kind of a dull album that's where i feel like he's a classic situation because it's like sometimes you think success is what you want but every now and then i do something that you know from my small standards does well or is accepted or gets a lot of likes on instagram whatever the hell uh but then you're scared to follow it up with something that isn't gonna do as well and you just don't put anything out. And I think that's why he waited so long to put this album out. When you like hear some of the stuff he said, like he's so scared of people doing basically what they did. Uh, and yeah, so- you could hear that on the album. The couple of buyers he said about that fear of just knowing no matter how hard he works, people like myself are going to critique it and have stuff to say about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost you got to decide as an artist, like either I want to do this or I don't want to do it. And it's fine if you don't. Um, mm-hmm. But like part of the, the thing that we have to get past is just putting it out and not caring what the rest of everyone else thinks. Just just do your thing and keep it moving. And I got to like give people like Jay and, and other people who just continue to to keep pushing, even when like you might get roasted on the Internet for your your effort. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to keep going. And one thing I remind myself, because 
I'm sure you know as a creative individual, like you said, sometimes you do something and it's amazing. Like sometimes I do a review and when I'm done editing it and I post it, I'm like, this is perfect. Like everything came out the way I wanted to. The video looks good. Audio is good. Made all my points. Not too many cuts. Brilliant. Put it up. And then the next case, I might be having a hard time. Maybe the video came out bad. The audio wasn't good. Then I'm struggling with, do I want to put this out? But I've learned that you just got to put it out, man. And if you have an audience, like I've been lucky enough to build an audience and people who come back time and time again, they still appreciate it. And, and sometimes as an artist, you get caught up in the minor things, the minutia, I think is the word. Yep. And you worry about one thing. Like I'm sure you've been there where you're looking at a video or even a podcast recording. And you're like, oh, there's this one part in here that is driving me up the fucking wall. The way I stumbled here or there's too much breath here or... I burped or, you know, just there's one tiny, tiny thing. Everything else is perfect, but there's just one thing. And that's when sometimes you just, you just got to roll with it because people probably aren't even going to notice it. No. You, just ha- you just had a bad day. You had a bad time with the recording or the editing and you're focusing on every tiny thing. Now, like, of course, you do your best to fix everything that you can. I always do that. But uh, one example for me is when I did my Childish Gambino review, my autofocus on my camera, I forgot to turn it off. So it was being a bit irritating. And I almost scrapped the whole review, but I was like, I'm not going to do the whole thing over. My regular viewers and fans will understand. This is like the first time this has happened in what, like five years. I think I can make a mistake once in a while and just Mm -hmm. let them know. Like, sorry, guys, you know, I did all this work. My autofocus was on. None of them cared at all. I don't think anyone would even said anything if I didn't say anything, to be honest with you. But that's just an instance of how you got to keep pushing forward. Even the greatest basketball players have a bad game once in a while. That's something I always tell myself. Might not be very often, but Kobe, RIP, you'll find a couple of games where he was struggling. And, you know, part of being great is just going through that struggle and coming back and continuing to move forward. Yeah, like, it's funny, man. Like, and this might be a generational thing. Like, because everything gets captured, I'm I'm talking about basketball specifically, but Mm -hmm. because everything gets captured and and, uh, reposted and shared by so many people, like, you know, the internet will have you believe that you get dunked on or you get crossed up, like your career is over. But then when you look at it, a lot of the greats, even the defensive greats get crossed Absolutely. over on multiple times a season. And uh, that's why they're great. Cause they take the chance. They're going to yeah. get up and try to block a dunk. They might get dunked on, but they're there. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I find myself playing and you're like, oh, I can't get get dunked on. Like, I'm never going to get dunked on. Well, that's because you're playing half-ass defense. Like, at some point, if you're really playing and you're playing against someone who has the capability to cross you up or dunk on you, then it's going to happen. I like that. I like that idea. It's perfectly put. It's very true. And even if you're, you know, like, you're going to get dunked on anyway by some people. That's just how it's going to be. Like, if you're playing prime Vince Carter – yeah. Your ass is going to get dunked on. Dunked and it on. might be a 360, and you might be put on a million posters all over the world. They might replay it on SportsCenter a thousand times. Yeah. But you were there. At least you were trying to do something. Hopefully you weren't just huddled over covering your neck. Then there's not much I can do for you in that, in that situation. But it's true. It's the trying uh, that matters and mm-hmm. knowing that you're going to fail sometimes, but you just got to keep going. Got to keep yeah. that attitude. Yeah, as an NBA player, you got to just be like, yo, yeah, I was on a poster everywhere. Now I got to come back and it's a new game today. Same with football players, man. Like you look at some of the greatest cornerbacks. Like I'm a big Eagles fan, right? We just got this guy, Darius Slay. 
I don't know if you're big into football, but he's considered even receivers in the league. So he's like a top five cornerback. So I'm excited. Eagles fans, if any of you are out there, you know we've had shitty cornerbacks for like 10 years, it seems like. But anyway, same thing. So Eagles make this big deal. We're all excited. But then you might have people who don't like the Eagles. They're like, oh, he's not that good. Look at this play. And like you said, they'll show a clip of him getting beat, right, Mm -hmm. for a touchdown. But that's going to happen. Yeah. And sometimes even when you play the best defense you can as a cornerback, the other guy's just going to be taller. He might make he might make an amazing play. Like something's going to happen, but it's all about that effort. That's what really matters. Yeah, yeah. Got to keep it. Got to keep keep going. Like keep pushing. It's a. It's a. That's probably if there's anything that's like a daily mantra for me as an artist. It's just that because you know either I feel like I've done enough and I don't want to fail, so I just won't do anything else, or I feel like I messed up the last time, so. I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, nah, it's, you just got to keep going. Like, um, so with the, with their, with your videos, I remember when you made the transition from the podcast to sort of making videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the excitement you had when you first hit like 500 views. Like, yes. Even a hundred views, man. That was crazy. <laughs> That's a big deal, man. Like YouTube views, especially today, like it's, it's hard. It's hard to get views on YouTube. It's so very hard. How do you, how do you manage that? How do you, is it just over time? It just eventually you build an audience or like, is there some kind of a secret sauce? I think it's a bit of both. For me, I was lucky when I started doing reviews, there wasn't a whole lot of people out there doing reviews. Like, I'm not going to say I was one of the first ones because I like Needle Drop was around, Spectrum Pulse, ARTV, some other guys. But there, it's not like today where there's a million review channels and reaction channels. So I was kind of lucky in that sense. And when I first started doing YouTube, I wasn't even doing music reviews at first. I was just making like funny little videos. I'd pick a topic and then I would just rant and rave about it, whether it was talking about simping. I did a video on simping that <laughs> took off and hit thousands of views, man. It was like all over Twitter. Again, that's another thing that wouldn't hold up as well today no. probably that like, you know, like I've grown a lot since then, but it was a funny video and a lot of people kind of related to it. You know what I mean? It was funny and there were some little truths and stuff in there, but I started off just doing funny videos about that. I'd pick another topic, how I felt about the death penalty, this, that kind of hot topics. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to Lil Wayne's I am not a human being Two album. And it was, <laughs> it was so bad. The lyrics were so trash. I, I was actually shocked. I could not believe that this man was saying these things. Like, unbelievable. And so I started taking notes on it. I thought this would be funny for a video. So this was my first foray into reviewing music. I just thought, as I was listening to it, it was so ridiculous. I was actually laughing in my chair. Mm-hmm. So I wrote all the lyrics down and I did a video, the funniest lyrics from that. That was my first music review. Although it wasn't a full review, it was just breaking down the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And um, that took off. That went semi-viral, at least back then, because I got up to like over 10,000 views, which was insane for me. Up to that point, you know, some of my uh, videos might have had like 2,000 views or something, but that was like over 10,000. People loved it. And then in the comments section, people started asking me to review music. Mm. I was like, is that that's a thing people do on YouTube? Like, I never really paid much attention to music reviews. So then I started looking around and seeing what people were doing and found out about some of the other guys. So yeah, after that, I started reviewing albums, but it it kind of happened by mistake. You know, I wasn't planning on doing that, but everyone liked it so much. They started requesting albums and being someone who 
rapped for a long period of time. I've loved hip hop all my life, like going back to crisscross, you know, wearing my clothes backwards, wearing the braids in my hair, listening to Warren G, Outkast, Wu-Tang, all the, you know, early 90s, mid 90s stuff. It just seemed like a perfect fit. So now I was sort of combining different creative outlets. I was making these videos, but I was talking about music and incorporating some comedy as well. So that's sort of how I started. And I was able to build up a fan base over the years doing that. Cause I was lucky. I kind of started when it wasn't oversaturated like it is now. Mm. And obviously the bigger the artist, the more people are looking for the videos. So yeah. that's more or less how I built it up. But to answer your second question, there is a big difference now. Like my channel growth is much smaller now because now it's reaction channels. I'm sure you've seen that it's the reaction channels that are much more popular than the review channels for the most part, because they come out immediately. Like an album drops, someone does a quick reaction video, it's up within like an hour or two, everybody searching for the album on YouTube finds the reaction, and that's sort of, that's the secret sauce now I think, is you gotta be the first one, just like with anything else. Just like if you're breaking, coming back to sports, like if there's a major trade, let's say you've never reported anything fascinating in your life, but you reported that you know, LeBron James is going to the Raptors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're the first one to break that if that happened. All of a sudden, you're popping. So it's that's sort of the secret sauce now is you got to stay on top of things. But I'm still doing the old school review way. Mm, right. And it's a, a little bit of a deep dive. Like I, I started watching, I used to watch Needle Drop back in the day. And I just always appreciated just that, that, uh, that deeper dive into stuff and, and trying to be more objective than say just this is fire this is not or whatever the case may be yeah and what i like to bring to my reviews uh something that i bring that i think some channels don't is where i've been a hip-hop fan for such a lot uh, a long time there's a lot of samples i recognize there's a lot of throwbacks and references to like 90s hip-hop that i recognize and i always try to incorporate that just for for everybody to kind of learn from, but also for my peers who might have opinions on that sort of stuff, you know, like we're getting older at the point now, these rappers, these newer rappers will come out with a song and the beat is from like a Jizza song from like 93 or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, wait a minute. And sometimes it works really well. Like obviously that Rhapsody song uh, with Jizza, what was that song? I'm so bad at remembering song names. I review too much stuff, but do you know which one I mean? No, I don't remember song names either. Uh, Rhapsody, she did a song with Jizza and it was from the Liquid Swords uh, album, but it turned out really good. But anyway, it's just, it's fascinating that we're old enough now that kids these days, they don't know the real song. Yeah. The real original sample from the original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happens all the time. Like, man, 3-6 Mafia, they have been borrowed from and sampled so often within the past five years. Like they deserve more credit. And they get, I think. Like, to me, they are an all-time classic group, unique. They really help pave the way. But a lot of artists now, man, they borrow hooks from them. They borrow beats from them. They borrow samples from verses from them. Like, they've really stuck around a lot. And even Jay-Z, like, some of his older classic songs, people are taking those beats and rapping on them. And sometimes it's just like, ah, you're getting on some of those reasonable doubt joints. It's going to be really hard to make a memorable song. Because we're just going to remember the classic, the original. But then again, if you didn't hear that, and this is your first time hearing that production, yeah, you might love it more than someone who sort of holds it dear. Your mind's blown at that point, because yeah. But you know, it's also great about you as a reviewer is that you you know what it like it's like to make a song, and you know 
probably what the rapper is thinking when they come up with a a, a, a structure in in like you know. Oh. Yeah, it, it does give me, that's another thing I think that gives me a bit of a different look. Obviously not saying I was some great rapper because I wasn't, but but just the, exper- just the experience over the years of working with different people and different studios and putting songs together, uh, being there for the mixing and mastering, it definitely gives you a bit of a different perspective and outlook. So I always, I always find it kind of funny when people are like, you never even rap before, you can't say anything. I'm like, oh, actually kind of... <laughs> You know, you kind of fire back at them if that's the point they're trying to make. You can't speak on reps. You never rapped. Actually, I kind of did for like 10 years. Yeah. At least, you know. And sometimes, too, like I've had people say, uh, what did one guy say on the J Electronic Review? He's like, I think a lot of the times critics are just failed musicians. I'm like, okay, maybe in some instances. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't mean the person can't be a good critic. You know what I mean? Like, again coming back to football and being an Eagles fan because I got to represent. Our head coach, Doug Peterson, was a horrible quarterback, okay? Terrible. He won a Super Bowl within his first couple of years. Right. You know what I mean? And he's respected as like a top coach. So I think sometimes, yes, you might not have made it in the particular field, but you might have a mind for coaching or speaking on it. Like that happens a lot in sports where there's guys who aren't necessarily great players but they make these amazing coaches or defensive assistants or whatever the case may be, maybe even a GM sometimes. Absolutely. There's a lot of knowledge, right? Yeah. It's like they still have a good mind for, for the game and you can't take that away from them. And a lot of people who are great players who people assume would be great coaches, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just not. Yeah. Or they think they'll be good owners, but then you're Michael Jordan and you draft (laughs) Kwame Brown. Where the hell did he go? yeah michael jordan the owner is like versus the player is <laughs> night and day absolutely is yeah so what's it like collaborating with other reviewers a lot of fun i actually haven't done it in a while i'm hoping to maybe do that some more uh i haven't done too many collaborations so thanks for this one by the way i love being invited on the podcast so i appreciate that um I did do Crate 808 podcast. They're based in the UK and they're doing amazing work. I don't know if you've ever checked them, but I think you would really appreciate them because they're a 90s hip hop podcast. Okay. And um, I did an episode with them where we broke down one of my all-time favorite albums, Warren G, G G-Funk era. Mm -hmm. Love that album so much. Uh, So that's really, that's not a review collaboration, but that was still a collaboration Mm -hmm. uh, in regards to talking about hip hop. That was really great. I've worked with The Needle Drop. It's been a couple of years but we did three or four reviews together. I've worked with Spectrum Pulse, uh, Ryan at Not Real Music. Who else am I missing? My boy, Granddad, Wooly. Shout out, Wooly. I think he's one of the most underrated reviewers, but he doesn't do too much of that anymore. He doesn't have quite as much time, but mm. he does a Twitch stream, and he, he works with Dead End Hip Hop. They have a other group called Dead End Gaming, okay, where it's some of them that do games and stuff, so he does really well. I've worked with a lot of them, and it's just fun to have two different perspectives Uh, I think, I truly believe every reviewer has their own sense of bias, if you will. You know, we all come from different backgrounds. We came up on different stuff. So in the back of your head, you're always going to prefer a certain style or sound. Mm -hmm. Not to say you can't be swayed, but that's just a part of life, right? Yeah. Uh, So it's cool when you work with someone like that and you're discussing this album and you have some different takes and opinions. It also makes the review a bit easier because you don't have to do as much writing and stuff like that. You kind of come up with your points and how you feel and just 
bounce ideas off of each other, you know, kind of like doing a podcast, like doing a podcast by yourself. I actually did that for a little while. It is hard as hell, man. Like respect the people that do that. Cause it is, it's hard to talk for that long and keep things interesting. Is it? But, uh, <laughs> but, oh man, I did like 10 episodes of my own podcast. I had a couple guests once in a while, but I was doing, I was doing the recording. I was writing like rough scripts for myself just so I didn't run out of talking points. And I was doing the editing and then listening back to your podcast to make sure it sounds all right. Like that, you know, listening back to like half an hour to an hour to edit, like <laughs> it was way too much work for one person. So props to everyone who's running podcasts out there, but it's fun doing collaborations. You get those different perspectives. You also get to share your audience with them and they share their audience with you. It's good for help and growth. Definitely something I have to get back into soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel that, you know, <laughs> me doing this podcast solo, like people say they love the solo episodes, but I'm like terrified because it's like, I don't know what to talk about half the time. It's, it is hard. Solo episodes are a lot harder. It's hard to keep the flow too, because you're essentially talking to yourself. Yeah. And the pacing, I found the pacing is what gets hard because mm -hmm. you don't want to be like, you're talking by yourself. So you got to pace yourself or you're going to go dry mouth or you're going to run out of breath. At least I will if I'm, if I'm talking too much because I go on these rants and rambles and I always worry about the little things like that, especially when it comes to editing. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to find the right pace and keep things interesting. It definitely is. Like uh, when I, I used to be on a podcast that was a group, so, sort of somewhat like background noise-ish, mm -hmm. more like daily, to uh, weekly topics and things. And I used to just show up. Like I would do a little bit of research. I have a little bit of ideas, but basically I was just going off the dome, just playing off of my co-hosts. And uh, it was so much easier. <laughs> it really is. And, and that's what I think was great about background noise is we had a little chat group um, we'd always do segments. So, you know, we might do a segment where we're just going over funny news stories. Then the second segment might be a guest. Then the third segment might be, you know, we're not making jokes really. We're discussing one of the serious topics I was talking about earlier in this podcast, you know, depression, mental illness, whatever. So we'd get together in our group chat. We'd throw out ideas for what we wanted to talk about. And that was basically it. So you'd yep. know what was coming up, but a lot of the time we just went off the dome because Devin, Derek, and I have been friends for such a long time. We've done so many creative ventures together that we know how to push each other's buttons if we want to. We know how to make each other laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, we can make certain references that, you know, we can all play off of. So chemistry, of course, is very important when it comes to collaborating too. And I've been lucky enough with the review collaborations I've done, just coming back to that. Uh, I've gotten along with pretty much everyone I've done reviews with. I consider those guys my friends and we've done some pretty good reviews. Hmm. Dope. So Luke, if there's anything you would give as advice for someone creating some kind of like a creative project, like you've done with, with uh, your reviews and things like that, or just pursuing some kind of creative thing, what advice would you give people for that? First, I would come back to what we were discussing earlier about just not giving up and like these are going to be cliches but i mean they're cliches for a reason because that's what a lot of people uh express and how a lot of people feel uh, you know you're going to have times where you're going to create something amazing and i think you can't get caught up in the idea of always living up to that expectation because it's just not going to happen life doesn't work that way you might even have two or three great things in a row and then you're in a drought for like two months or something crazy like that but 
I think the most important thing is you have to stick to the script, you know, stay true to yourself, be honest, represent yourself well, but you also have to be willing to take some chances once in a while, just, just to keep things fresh, you know, try some new things. But the main thing is to keep pushing. Don't give up. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Not to say doing things for money is the wrong reason. We all want to get paid for the stuff that we do. That's very important. But yeah. don't get so focused on that and don't view that as whether you're being successful or not. I know that sounds weird to say because, you know, we all want to get paid doing the creative things we do. I especially like that I can make a little bit of money on the side. But if I catch myself getting too caught up in the money, then I'm not having as much fun with it. Yeah. And I'm not enjoying it. I'm not being as true to myself. So you have to strike somewhat of a balance there, I think, between the business and pleasure aspect while you're moving forward. I did mention staying true to yourself, yet another cliche. But it's true, man. You got to, uh, especially now with social media and the internet, and everybody's a creative now. Mm-hmm. Everybody is doing something, you know. Uh, if you can stay as true to yourself as you can, you know, maybe you can embellish and exaggerate once in a while. Like I do in my rant reviews, I go over the top, mm-hmm. just, you know, just to have fun. But only you can be you. You have your own story, your own perspective and opinions. Don't get too caught up in, you know, the people in your field who are higher above you. Obviously, you can learn from them and get tips and tricks from them, but don't focus too much on that. Just be yourself, build your audience. Um, I pride myself on that because I feel like the audience I've built, many of them have been with me since I started. Mm. I'm not the biggest review channel. There's channels that are way bigger than mine, but I have people coming back who have been watching, who've been part of my creative ventures, not even just with videos, but even the podcasts and whatever people who've been with me for like 10, 15 years, you know, and that means a lot to me because, I mean, I appreciate everyone who supports me, just to be clear. But mm-hmm. those longtime supporters lets me know that I've struck a chord and I am being true to myself. And they've sort of watched me grow and evolve over the years, which they appreciate. So it's very important to stay true to yourself. Stick to your vision, as Maestro Fresh West once said. Wasn't that his song? I think. Do you remember that? I, yeah, I barely remember it. I'm not Canadian, so I came here after that was popping. Okay. That was like, that was newer maestro. That wasn't like, let your backbone slide maestro. That was much later. But uh, yeah, those are the main things that I would say. And it's also going to be a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work. There's going to be times where you're really tired. And this is another place where you you have to strike a balance because there's there's times where I'm tired and I force myself to do stuff Mm. because I know if I don't, it's just not going to happen. But then there's other times where I realize, you know what? I did a lot today or I did a lot this week. I need a break. Yeah. Sometimes you need to relax, refresh and reset, you know, take that time to let yourself be rejuvenated. So when you come back, you'll be even better than you were. That doesn't mean you have to take a week or a month off. Maybe you do. It's up to you to decide. For me, there's just certain days where I know I got to get this review script written. I got to listen to this album three or four times and, you know, break everything down that's happening on it but there's times where I just don't have it in me because maybe I was up for work at four in the morning Mm. and I worked hard and maybe it just happens to be a bad day at home where the kids are sick or, you know, life is going to throw curveballs at you. So you have to learn that balance where you're working as hard as you can without exhausting yourself, because that's something that's very difficult to do. Some people push themselves to the brink of depression. I think that's why a lot of people um, suffer in some ways, you know, they put such heavy expectations on themselves They expect things to happen right away. If one thing doesn't go right, all of a sudden they think they've fallen off. So 
you got to protect your mental health. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was a lot. Sorry. No, that's, that's cool. It, <laughs> I got to ramble. It made me think of something else. So with your, do you ever feel like um, when you're trying to push through and get, you know, do, do certain projects and things like that, or if you, you know, you got to have a review up this week, uh, you ever feel like this stuff is competing with your wife time or, and your kid time and all that kind of stuff? It's definitely hard because especially where I have three kids, uh, as I said, they're five and under. Uh, also, my middle son is autistic. That's something I've, I've talked about a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like to spread awareness about that. And yeah. where I do have a small platform, I like to talk about it. And I've had some pretty great discussions as a result. I've discussed it briefly in my reviews before in social media. Uh, you know, I just like to spread autism awareness. So I always mention that when I mention my kids because it's nothing that I'm ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does make some difficulties, but a lot of people don't understand how it works and it works in many different ways. So, you know, I just mentioned that. So we do have a, a child who's autistic, which can also require some extra work at times. Mm-hmm. And then I work all the time and I'm trying to do this stuff. And then my wife sometimes is stressed because she's looking after the kids doing an amazing job, by the way, like the patience she has is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so there definitely, you know, there are times where it's really hard to balance it all because there's not much time when you have young kids like I do three of them you work I mean you know what it's like you got a couple kids I think they're quite a bit older than mine but you probably remember the days where it's like you come home from work someone's crying okay you got to take care of that change this one make supper eat oh someone's crying again okay change this diaper uh you know bath time snack time clean up you know all that stuff after work next thing you know it's like eight or nine o'clock yeah every day and you're tired and it's like, you know, you want to spend time with your spouse, but then sometimes you both just look at each other. It's like, I want to go play video games. And then my wife might be like, you know what? I want to watch suits. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like you both want to do different things. And I think that can be a challenge for a marriage or a relationship at times is, yeah. you know, like, like young kids will test you, especially now that, you know, they don't have school. Oh, absolutely. You can't, you can't take them to playgrounds. Like you can walk around the block and, you know, you're like pretty much trapped. So it's, it can be difficult, Yeah. but I realize, you know, that it's going to pass. It'll be a bit easier once they get older. But right now I'm lucky that my wife supports what I do. She understands that, you know, I take pride in it. Some of this work I do, it does make extra cash on the side, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not all about the money, mm-hmm. but it does help when you can say, you know, I need a bit of time to do this because I'm getting, you know, paid for it. And, we need groceries or whatever, right? Like that's just real life. It's not all about that, but it's certainly a factor. So it does become hard to balance it all, man. You only have so much time in a day and between a full-time job and kids, once eight or nine hits, you're exhausted, but that's all the time I have. So I have to push through and do my best to finish all my work. Facts. 100%. That's, that's me in a nutshell too, man. Remember the old days? Like, do you remember, sorry to interrupt, but just remember when you just like, you weren't married, didn't have kids. I'm not saying I wouldn't change anything, but I remember like when I first moved out all the way on my own, got a full-time job, had a car, two bedroom all to myself, felt like a king, big screen TV, (laughs) PlayStation with Skyrim and, you know, all this stuff. And like when I was doing my reviews, I had all the time in the world. Like I I would come home and do whatever I wanted. I'd be up sometimes like three or four in the morning, recording stuff, editing stuff. And sleep until one the next day. Yeah. But now, like with a wife and kids, you 
are on a strict schedule and it's like, okay, I have three or four hours at the end of the night if I want to get anything done. Yeah. Didn't you like realize that you, you've become way more productive? Like you can get way more done in less time than you ever used to be able to. Oh, absolutely. Because as much as, I mean, I would still get more work done before. Don't get me wrong. Like with all that time, I'm still going to get more work done. But now that I know I have a limited time, it's certainly a bit more productive than, you know, when you're living on your own like that, you might have your computer up working on some reviews, but then you're like chatting then you're doing this and you're like, Oh, I got all day. I got all day and all night. I can mess around. I can stretch this out a bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, man, it's, it's hard crunching that time. Very hard crunching that time. When you have small kids, you just don't have a life in general. I've just come to accept that fact. <laughs> yeah. Unless, unless you're one of these, uh, you know, if you're lucky and you have like grandparents close by, like I envy people who have two sets of grandparents that mm-hmm. take the kids all the damn time at the drop of a hat. Oh, we'll take all three kids for the weekend. We, uh, like we're lucky, you know, my parents are still alive as are my wives. We're very lucky and they're amazing. Don't get me wrong, but Mm -hmm. my parents live in Truro, so they can't, I wouldn't drop all three of my kids off on them anyway. They're older, right? They live Mm -hmm. a ways and same with my wife's parents. Um, you know, like we do get help, but it's, it's limited. Mm -hmm. That's not a slight on them. It's just, you know, they have busy lifestyles as well. They're working and they're older and stuff like that. But I always envy those people who, you know, grandma and grandpa live two houses down, just take the kids anytime. Yeah. Like, what's it mean to have a date? What's a date? What, <laughs> what is a night without kids? The hell is that? I don't even remember what that is. That's a thing. People get people do that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it happens. I got, I got to give my wife's parents props because they are, they are, they're not super close to us in terms of distance, like maybe mm-hmm. 30 minutes away or something like that. But they're definitely like very willing to help when we need help. If we say we need a date night, they'd be like done. So I got to, no, we can't thanks to Rona. But like with us, it was just the whole, because our lifestyle is so busy, now that they're not little, it became after school activities and weekend activities, basketball, dance, Mm -hmm. piano, and everything else, even more like, and then homework every day. So it became that. And then it's like what you said with the energy, by the time you're done with all of that, it's eight or nine. And then you're like, do we even want to go out? Uh, uh. <laughs> exactly. I want to play video games. I want to watch suits. And I just want to tell people that's okay. You yeah. got to okay. spend time with each other and be there for each other. 100%. I'm not saying that, but there's just times where you're both into different things and you got to keep your sanity. Yeah. Like, like I'm not going to, cry to my wife and be like oh i want you to come watch me play this japanese role-playing game for three hours which she's got no interest in right it would make me feel better like no like go do what you want to do and to be fair i will say uh all the grandparents that we have i think they would be willing to take all three kids but it's just you know what it's like yeah like you think about it like and I wouldn't do that to them. I know what it's like. You don't want to do that to them. These like. are monsters we're talking about. And, and, it w- and it would be hard, especially, like I said, with our middle child. You know, he's with his special needs and knowing how to respond to him mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, it certainly adds another element. And then my other son, he's only, you know, like he's not even two yet. So, oh, wow. So it's hard, you know. And then my daughter, she can go. She still goes once in a while because she'll, she'll be six this summer. So she's at that age where. She can use the bathroom all by herself and she can watch her shows and go to bed and brush her teeth. You know, she can do all that stuff. So she does stay once in a while, 
their mm-hmm. grandparents, but the other two, like I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, all three of the kids, <laughs> even if they would be willing to do it. It's like, <laughs> like you don't know what you're asking for right now. You know, not what you mean. Yeah. Like remember the old movie problem child yeah. kid juniors, like pissing in the lemonade and giving to people and stuff. I mean, my kids aren't that bad, Yeah, but I'm just saying that's just what's <laughs> made. There's some problem children at times when you put all three of them together. Oh no. <laughs> All right, Luke. So what you have anything next? You mentioned the Twitch. Is there anything else um, you got going on? Yeah, I'm really trying to push the Twitch forward right now just because what I like about that is it's downtime because I play video games pretty much every night anyway. That's sort of how I relax. Uh I figured, why not stream? It's fun to do. Uh, I get to chat with people. So you can find me on twitch.tv slash Luke James, not the singer. That's all together. If you're on there, check me out, throw me a follow, and that'll keep you updated as I play. And I got more reviews coming on the way. I'm actually excited to talk about the new Thundercat album because I like it a little more than this last one. I think there's some great songs. Dragon Ball Do-Rag, by the way, I don't know if you heard that song. That is my shit. That is my favorite song of the year so far. 100%. Have you heard that? No, no. I want you to listen to that as soon as you're done. I want you to watch the video and then message me and tell me what you think because the video is fucking hilarious. So it's, like the funniest, it's the funniest video I've seen in a while. I'm and it's, it's some anime nerd shit? Uh, well, the video is like filmed with like just like an old camcorder. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's, this, it's, it's Thundercat and he's, he finds a Dragon Ball do-rag and he's trying to mack on all these girls. So uh-huh. it is silly, but it's not one of those songs where the humor just makes it unlistenable. Like, you know, some silly songs are so goofy it's not worth it. Gotcha. It's actually a really smooth song, but it just happens to be funny. But I've been killing that song, so I can't wait to talk about that album. Okay. I got that coming up for a review. And probably in like a month or so, I will be doing another Crate 808. And what they do is they pick an old album from the 90s and discuss it. So we did the Warren G album I mentioned. Mm-hmm. This time around, I'm excited for this one. I don't know how this is going to hit you, but this is right in my wheelhouse. We're going to do Criss Cross's debut album. Oh, snap. <laughs> totally crossed out. <laughs> so we're trying to plan that. He's in the UK. So with everything going on, on top of finding a time, like I don't know if you've ever you know, done a podcast or Skype or Zoom with someone from the UK. It can be hard to find the right time. Yeah. Because no, they're in such a different time zone. Like It's rough. But we have that planned coming up. And other than that, yeah, just the reviews. You can find me. If you do a search for Luke James reviews, it'll come up or youtube.com slash Luke James BGN, I believe. But Luke James reviews will bring it up. I try to review as much as I can, but I've actually cut down a bit because I got so much stuff going on. And coming back to what you were saying about the comment sections getting nasty, I kind of just stopped reviewing certain projects, you know? Like there's certain projects that I just know I'm not going to like and I have nothing interesting to say about them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to bother because I'm going to waste all this time reviewing it. It'll get thousands of views, which, yeah, that's nice. But then it's just going to be people complaining about an album that I don't give a shit about anyway and don't even want to discuss. So, Right. Yeah, that, you know, that's fair. Like, only review the albums that you're actually interested in. And it's a, it's a tough balance because I used to review, like, everything that came out just to keep people satisfied and just mm-hmm. to have different opinions on stuff. But I try to pick ones that – it doesn't mean that I'm only reviewing stuff I like because I feel like that would be pointless. But uh-huh. I'm just reviewing the stuff that – is a bit more, uh, you know, close to what I, I might enjoy or be interested in or care about in one way or the other. Like I didn't like the new Joyner Lucas album, for example, but I was really curious because I like stuff of his in the past. Yeah. And I knew a lot of people wanted that. But as far as stuff like Lil Uzi Vert, Lil Yachty, 
Gucci Mane, all these acts, they might have some songs here and there that I like, but I feel like they release the same shit every time. Mm-hmm. Like Gucci Mane, utmost respect. He's like a legend down there. Mm-hmm. But every album is like, he's not doing anything different or saying mm-hmm. anything that's really exciting to talk about, right? Right. Or Future and all these guys. So I'm kind of cutting some of that stuff out unless it's like a major album that everyone's talking about for one reason or the other. But yeah, that's pretty much what I have going on. It's like, yeah, balancing what's happening with the culture with what you're actually interested in and finding that that sweet mix. Yeah, it's hard to do. But I also find by cutting back, I can put more time, like with this Thundercat review that I'm excited to talk about, I can put more time in it because I'm not thinking, oh, I got to finish this so that I can review, you know, another posthumous Tentacion album or something like that. You know, just something I just don't want to. Yeah, so, yeah. It's all good. That's another thing I would say for anyone doing creative shit. Sorry, I keep going here. But just know that sometimes it's okay to not do something. Mm. Once in a while, it's okay to not do something sometimes. Yeah, it is okay. So, Luke, thank you for doing our Pays Me. It's fun catching up with you. Thanks, man. It's great to be on here. I really appreciate you having me on. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yes, for sure. For sure. Anytime, man. Um, I, I actually, I haven't had any repeat guests yet, but I'm definitely, I, I'd love to, you got some new stuff that you want to talk about, or if you just want to just catch up, man, let's do it. No doubt. Thank you so much for listening to the Arcade Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at rpaysme.com or at rpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.